different. All right, guys, good morning. So a little bit different this morning in our opening. Because of the play, we don't have the worship team up here because we have the set. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. We're going to open with song, and then uh, I'll come back up and we'll pray and we'll do our welcoming time. So join us in song this morning uh, as we start. Okay, good problem to have this morning, but I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. We have more people that need seats, so everybody kind of scoot in 
towards the side, inside, if you would, just a little bit. Good problem to have. We're working on a new building, I promise you. So just make room for your brothers and sisters this morning. But I'm glad you're here. I want to open uh, with a word of prayer today. Uh, and then we're going to do our welcoming time. After the welcoming time, I'll get back up here. And we'll, ha we'll, we'll uh, have everyone sat down. And then we're going to start to play with all the kids. I know you all are here see these kids today, and I know they practice hard, so uh, go, go with me, bow your heads with me in uh, prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you, uh, God, that we're here this morning, Lord, to worship you, and this whole focus is, is you, God, and, and, and I thank you, Lord, uh, for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for all the hard work that the kids have uh, put in to do this play, and, and for the leadership that's uh, worked with them, and uh, so, Lord, just bless them today, and uh, Lord, I, I pray that this week we spend it uh, focused on you, God, that you're just the most important thing. Without, without you, we don't celebrate Christmas. We don't have anything else to celebrate in our lives. Lord, it's just all about you. And so, Lord, I love you this morning. I thank you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Take a couple of minutes this morning and welcome everyone.
My own? All right. I know why you guys all came today. I know why you all came today. Normally we start this time with another song because nobody wants to be quiet from talking, and that's okay. But I know why you guys came today, and it's for the Christmas program. So are they ready to go? Thumbs up. They are ready to go. So I'm not going to hold you anymore from listening to me. Here is your Christmas program. This is the story of our Savior's birth. Wait. Huh? And she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In those days, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in the town of David because they belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flock at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Suddenly a great host of company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill to men.
Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill to men. So they hurry off and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one born, King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Jesus was a king for all people, and one day every knee will bow before him. After they heard the king, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They, then they opened their treasures and presented him with golds of gift, g gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... Love that our shepherds. I love that our shepherds are using their staffs as rifles. We uh, we like the Second Amendment around here. I guess I don't know. It's good stuff. Good job. Good job, guys. All right, you may be seated. I'm gonna. I want to. I want to. <laughs> Yeah, good job, Sierra. Donaldson girls, they did good. Not, you know, it's not Donaldson girls anymore, is it, fellas? Yeah, they, they got married. But All right, announcements. Here we go. Next Saturday night, I'd love for you to come next Saturday night. We have a Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 o'clock. If you've never been, it's a beautiful service, uh, Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock. And then Sunday morning, Christmas Day, I've had a lot of people ask, are we having church? Of course we're having church. It's our Savior's birth, right? We're going to come worship together. Worship at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock uh, uh, Christmas morning, next Sunday at 10 o'clock. No Sunday school, just come so you have some time in the morning to get up and spend with your family and eat breakfast or whatever you want to do on Christmas morning, but come to worship at 10 o'clock. We're going to do the same thing on New Year's Day on January 1st. So next two Sundays, no Sunday school, just worship service at 10 o'clock. Uh, men's Bible study, they're going to have men's Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. And then the next two weeks after that, no men's Bible study because of the holidays. But we'll have men's Bible study tonight. Um, Christmas program did a great job. Women's breakfast and coffee this week is Friday morning at 8.30 at Prickly Cactus. So ladies, if you want to eat breakfast and have coffee this Friday morning at 8.30, uh, coming up at Prickly Cactus. Ladies craft day, that's still on. Ladies, Sunday, January 8th from 1 to 4 they're having a, a ladies' craft day. The cost is $30. If you need help with that, let us know. Um, the activities team, for, I don't know what they got planned with this, but they're asking for hunting and fishing pictures that you've done maybe over the last year, last couple of years. They want those emailed to media team at crossbridgechurch.net. So if you have pictures of the outdoors, hunting and fishing and all that stuff, please email uh, them that. Another announcement for, for uh, Sunday, January 1st, normally we have Family Sunday that day, the first Sunday of every month. We're going to have Family Sunday the following week. We're going to do it the following week because I'm really excited about this. On Sunday, January 8th, is Freeway Sunday. So it's a Sunday that we celebrate and we talk about uh, the ministry that we do uh, in Freeway on Saturday nights. And John Stroop, uh, the National Freeway Director, will be here that morning uh, and preaching the word. So if you've ever, never not heard John speak, it's a great Sunday uh, to come. He's a firecracker. Uh, one of my good friends and just a, a, a great guy and, and will bring the word that morning. So uh, yeah, 
we also have a need uh, in the body. If, if you're happening, uh, ladies, to be going to Springfield this week, we have uh, somebody who needs a ride to, to Sam's or Costco. Their vehicle should be getting fixed here in the next few weeks. If you're available to take somebody this week and you were going to make a trip, please let me know. Please let me or Selena know uh, that if you could uh, give someone a ride to Springfield this week for that. So anything else that I forgot this morning? Yes. That's been postponed. Yes, that's delayed. Yes, the Men of Courage has been delayed. So I wasn't going to announce that. So yes, what else we got? Yep, the next two weeks, thank you, Mike, no freeway service. Instead of freeway Saturday night, we have the candlelight service at 6 o'clock. So, uh, and then no freeway on the 31st. Anything else that I forgot? Yes. Somebody raise their hand? Nope. Okay, if you would stand this morning, let's take up our morning offering, and we'll have a song, and then we'll uh, get into our uh, sermon this morning. The Lord Jesus, I thank you again uh, just for the opportunity to be here this morning, Lord, to worship you. Uh, and to sing praises to you and to give back to you, God, and, uh, and to preach your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for our kids. They did a great job this morning uh, in showing us what your birth looked like. And so, Lord, I thank you for our children's department and all those uh, youngsters and the, and the work they put in and doing that this morning. And so, Lord, we just love you. Uh, we worship you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.
All right. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 4. If you would, please remain standing. Let's honor God's word together. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. This is not a normal text, I guess, that we would uh, preach out of at, around Christmas time or, or talk about. But um, it's one I want to cover today. And, and I think what I'm going to be talking about today uh, is the gift of God's Son. The most important gift that we could ever give that we could ever get is God's Son. So 1 John 4, 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this love, God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be a propitiation for sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, all, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you again this morning for the opportunity to be here this morning, God. And my prayer this morning is we recognize what's important about this week, what's important, and that you are the greatest gift for a number of reasons. And, and God, we're going to talk about those this morning. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, today would be the day that they, that they, uh, they, they put their faith and trust in who you are and what you did on the cross. And in all things, God, we love you and I thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I want to go through this. It's not going to take long to go through this, but I had kind of a mini sermon this week because of the play. Um, but this is a week that we celebrate uh, Christmas, and we're going to get together with family and friends and um, give each other gifts. Most of the time you pass out gifts, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a time of excitement. Maybe have some hot apple cider. I think we should have hot apple cider all year long, not just on Christmas or around the holidays. That's another favorite of mine. But uh, you're going to spend time with your kids, take a few days off. Sounds like we may have some snow this week, so it may look like a white Christmas, hopefully. Uh, it's just a week of excitement. Um, and one of the favorite things this week is to give people stuff. I mean, it's always, we, we, have, we have a Lord who gave everything to us, and we see in his life that he was constantly serving people. He was constantly giving of himself to people, and he was always serving people, always constantly serving people. And this is a time this week uh, where most of the time we'll give each other stuff. We'll give each other gifts, and uh, it's always fun to do that. And I'm glad my parents are here this morning because when we were kids, there was always excitement on Christmas morning to wake up and open gifts. And I, I may have shared this with you in the past, but uh, I got a, a gift one time. There's one gift that I remember that I wanted. I asked for it, and I was so I was hoping to get it. And I was a kid; it was an expensive gift. But in, in 1987-88, every little boy wanted the Nintendo, right? Nintendo came out and everyone's like, everybody wants a Nintendo. It's the new cool thing. And I had asked for it and I got it. And I was, like, I was like little Ralphie on the Christmas story when he got the BB gun, right? I mean, he was, I was excited and it was so awesome. And I, I want to ask this question this morning. I want you to think back on the greatest gift anyone's ever given you. And I want to ask this question. How do we measure the value of a gift? By how big it is? size, its weight, how much it costs, the usefulness of it. So what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on the greatest gift that God has ever given us, and I want to measure that gift this morning. And I want us to think about that gift. And there's no really way that I could do that, honestly, uh, and, and give it complete justice, but I want to try this morning. 
The first thing I want to cover when you look at the value of a gift is, is it useful? The usefulness of the gift. Uh, and what is the, what is the usefulness of God's Son being given to us? Well, it tells us in verse 9 in our text, it says what? So we might live. So we might have life. Jesus said in his own words in John 10.10, 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now that is a promise. Now, And I think many times we think of Christ and we think about uh, eternity and we should. I always tell people to focus on eternity. Focus about what Christ did for us. His death on the cross made us a way to be forgiven and go to heaven. But when Jesus says have life and have it abundantly, he's also speaking in present terms. He's talking about, what's he talking about? How do we have life and have it abundantly in Christ right now? Well, I think it boils down to really one word, and it's called contentment. It's knowing when you're in Christ, when you have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, that it's not dependent upon what happens around you to have joy. Your joy comes from the Lord, and it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. We all are going to have things in our life where we're, it goes up and down. You have joyful times, you have hard times, but you're content. And Paul says, Paul says in, in, in the New Testament, he says, I've learned to be content with whether I had a, a bunch or had very little. Whether I had a bunch to eat or nothing to eat. And so this, this usefulness, this abundant life that Christ offers, this is, a, this is a joyful life. It's a life of service to him. It's not just an existence, but that your life has worth. It has value. It's an abundant life. It's living a life with purpose. Many people, in fact, I think probably all of us at one point in our life, will ask ourselves, why am I here? What's the point? What, what does God have for me? What, what, what's the purpose of my life? What is, what is the meaning of my life? God gives us those answers. Everybody in here this morning, everybody, God has made you a special person, a unique person, and has given you a special purpose. We, we talk a lot here at Crossbridge about how God has woven us together in the womb. That it, and we read those passages uh, in Psalms. And that he knows you. That every hair, not very many on mine, but on, on yours is counted. He knows. And he knows everything about you. He has a plan. He has a plan for your life to serve him. I, I'm not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time. But turn to Psalms 139. I encourage you to read this uh, later on today. The whole chapter. But in Psalms 139, this is what the chapter's saying. It's saying that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are hand-knit in the womb. I'll focus on, on a couple of verses here. In verses 13 and, and 14, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So everybody here was fearfully and wonderfully made. So what is our purpose? What is our purpose in life? Is it just to live a life and then do what we want and then one day die and eventually most people are going to forget us, the world's going to keep going on? I don't believe so. 
Our purpose in life is to bring glory to God with our life, to serve Him, to, to, to love Him, to, bring, to point people to Him. We are here for the glory of God. My purpose is to live a life that magnifies the Lord, to encourage, to support my fellow brothers and sisters, to become more Christ-like. Does that mean that when I walk around, I mean, a lot of you know me, you know me. I don't look like Jesus every day. Of my, I don't look like Jesus 99% of the time. But we, that's what we should be striving for. We should be a, a, trying to live a life that glorifies God to become more Christ-like. To use the gifts and talents that God has given us to help others. To tell those who don't know Christ, who don't have joy, who are, who are just living a life that they don't, they don't even know what they're living for. To tell them that there is good news, there's good news of Christ. My purpose is to bring glory to God in everything that I do and say. That's our purpose. That's our purpose, is to bring glory to God in everything that we do. Being a believer in Jesus and the work that he did on the cross, what do we receive? We receive salvation. We receive forgiveness. We receive the promise of eternal security, that nothing will remove us from God's hand. But you know what the amazing thing is? We're adopted. In his, as his children. Well, why then, if that's a promise that we get, why do so many people, especially, I, I talked about this in the new member class this morning, that we live in an area of the country that's still to this day in the Bible Belt, the red section of the Midwest and the South, where it's almost a given that if you talk to somebody on the street, you ask them, are you a Christian? The accepted answer in Marshfield, Missouri is what? Yes. But just because I say that I'm a follower of Christ, does that really make me a follower of Christ? And so why do we see so many people sometimes that say they, they're followers of Christ come and go and fall away? I want to answer that real quick on the, in this first point. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. There's going to be a couple of verses I cover on this. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 26 through 29. There's some people that you see at Christmas time. I have my little acronym, like Christmas, Easter only, right? We love Jesus on Christmas and Easter only, but the rest of the year we're just doing what we want. What, what, why do, why do the, we have so many that fall away? Hebrews 10, 26 through 29. It says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? So what are these verses talking about? They're talking about something we call apostasy. This is the intentional falling away, or defection. Apostates are ones who move towards Christ. They will say they are followers of Christ. They move towards Christ right up to the edge of a saving belief. They hear the gospel. They understand the gospel. They're on the verge of having saving faith. But then they reject what they've been learned or taught or heard, and they turn away. 
These people are aware of their sin. A lot of them even make a profession of faith. But instead of spiritually maturing in Christ, their interest in Christ begins to diminish. The things of the world start to become very attractive. And they lose all desire for God or things of God. And they turn away. Jesus talked about this. Our Lord talked about this in Matthew chapter 13. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're, we're going to bounce around just a little bit. Uh, we'll have some verses in Matthew uh, this morning. But Matthew chapter 13 talks about this. In verses 18, Jesus, Jesus addresses this. He tells a parable and, 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 of, the, of the sower. And then he explains the parable here in verses 18 through 23. You can read the parable uh, of the sower at the first part of 13 chapter 13 later today. But I want to, I he explains it in 18 through 23. It says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown on the thorns, this is the one who hears the word and the cares of the world. Pay attention to this part. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, that is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred and another sixty and another thirty. So what is Jesus saying? He's talking about people that in two cases hear the message with joy and even understand it. Even say they're following the Lord. And then deceitfulness of the world and the things of the world cause them to fall away. So why is this God? How does this tie in? How is this gift of God useful to us? What does it do? It saves us. It changes us. It allows us to live a life now serving Him abundantly, with joy, with joy serving the Lord. And the words that we long to hear as brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 21, words that we should all long to hear, brothers and sisters, are well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I pray, I pray this morning that at the end of our lives we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You followed me. You brought glory to me. You have brought me glory. You have enlarged the kingdom of God because of your faithfulness. Well done. God's gift of salvation, him giving himself to us, it gives us a purpose. It gives us meaning. It gives us value. Our, our purpose is to bring glory to God. Here's the second point. Here's the second one. I love giving my wife a hard time about this. I love giving her a hard time about this. And I am constantly aggravating her about my wedding band, aren't I? And she's always like, oh, here we go again, right? We're poor little kids when we got married. Not little kids. We were 22 and... She went to Kmart, and, and this ring's a good ring. I mean, it's a 14-karat gold wedding band. 
she got this ring for 30 bucks. And I've wore it ever since. I've wore it ever since. A lot of times we, we, we think of the value of a gift and we think, well, we, we base the value on how much it costs, right? Well, she shows me every week how much she loves and cares of me. I don't look at the value of the string and how much she loves me, right? I love giving her a hard time about that. But, it, but how we give towards God, and here's the transition on this, how we give towards God tells us really what we think about Him. How we give towards God. Listen, I'll tell you, over and over I see, I see in Scripture that God doesn't want leftovers. He, ne- he does not want leftovers. You know what God wants? He wants you. He wants the best of you. The best that you can give Him. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about yourself. He wants you. He wants you to say, God, you have me. You've got my life. I'm going to serve you however I can serve you. You know, there's a great example of this. I covered in discipleship with, with, with a couple of couples I'm discipling. Uh, turn to 2 Samuel 24. We should all follow King David's example here. In 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 25. Here's some context real quick for you. David had taken a census of the people in Israel. And what is a census? When you count people, right? Well, why had David taken a census? He wanted to count his troops. He wanted to see, hey, do I have enough people to go to war and fight and win? So he counted his troops. And God was upset. Why was God upset at David? He didn't want David trying to figure it out whether he was going to win the battle on his own. What did God want from David? Just trust me. Just trust me. Don't worry about how many troops you got. Just trust me. So God punishes Israel. And he brings some plagues about. And thousands of people are dying. And so this is where we pick up in 18 through 25. It it says uh, 18 through 25. But God came that day, but Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, rise, go up, rise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Anuriah the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's request as the Lord commanded. And when he went to Ayuriah, and when Ayuriah looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming towards him. And Ayuriah went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Ayuriah said, Why has the Lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Ayuriah said to David, Let my lord the king take up and offer what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offerings, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Ayuriah gives to the king. And Ayuriah said to the king, May the lord your God accept you. But the king said to Ayuriah, No, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And he built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings there. David said he was going to give a sacrifice to the Lord that was going to cost him his best. I'm going to sacrifice my best. Something of value, something of worth. Why would David say that? Because of what God has done for him. That's 
I? He had, he had given him the most perfect, precious gift. Why should we do the same? Why should we offer God our best? Because he's given us everything. He's given us everything. He gave us himself. He gave himself up completely. The, 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 there's, you, can't, you can't place any more higher worth on a life. And that's what he did. Go back to, if you go back to our text in 1 John 4.10, what does it say? In this love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that word mean? It means to appease God. God knew what had to be done. He knew what price had to be paid. He knew that it was going to cost him. And he gave his best for me and you. He gave his best. He gave us his best. He sent Jesus, born, God in flesh. Our kids played it out this morning as it, and lived a perfect life, a salvation for the world. If he gave that much for me, what should I give him? My best. So I should be thankful, brothers and sisters, for the salvation that comes, that comes from Jesus. That when we worship him, he gets our best in every area of our life, our giving, our studying of his word, our prayer life, using the spiritual gifts that he's given us. God's gift to us cost him his son. You parents in here, think about that. Think about giving your child up as a sacrifice for somebody else. If we're honest this morning, we would say, no way, no way. That's what God did for us. God's gift to us is extremely valuable because the cost was high. It was everything. Here's the last point, the effectiveness. Now, I, I told you guys earlier about the gift that I got as a kid. Now, what I didn't tell you before that was how they gag gift me that year. And here's the gift. My job at dinner time when I was a kid was to do what, Mom? And what else? Lettuce and make the salad, right? My was the salad boy. My job was to make the salad. And I did not like, I mean, I didn't like to eat salad, let alone make salad, right? I mean, right? Amen, right? Yeah, that's just no fun. So what they did that year, I wanted a Nintendo. You guys remember they came out with this cool gadget called a salad shooter. Anybody remember that? Stick stuff in the top and then, and salad flies out the other end, right? They wrapped that thing up for me as, what, an eight-year-old? And gave that to me as a gift. And I opened it thinking, I'm getting a Nintendo and here's a salad shooter. <laughs> Talk about going from here to there. But then, but then, like little Ralphie, like, like Ralphie's dad pulls out the BB gun from behind the couch. I'm, and they, they asked me, how'd you like Christmas this year? Oh, it was really good, Mom and Dad. Lying through my teeth, right? And then they pull out the other gift from behind the couch, right? Just like that. I opened it. I was so excited, right? That, that salad shooter, they had boxed that up. And, and I'll tell you, when you open it, when you open a gift, you, you expect it to do what it's made to do, right? I mean, we value things by their effectiveness. If, if I get a coffee pot, I want it to make pretty good coffee, if, if somebody gives me a toaster, I want it to make really good toast in the morning. If you guys give me a comb, I'm going to re-gift it. <laughs> All right? but, but you get a gift for somebody intending it to do something. Well, what is the gift of God? God's gift to us. What is an what, what's the intention? 
What's the effectiveness of that? It's meant to change us from the inside. God's gift is meant to change our standing with him. And that now we're justified before God. When God looks at a follower of his, he doesn't see all of our sin. He sees what? He sees Jesus. And what does that do? It changes us. God's gift is useful because it changes. And, and, and what does that change do? Now, it changes us in how we treat other people. What does verse 11 say in 1 John, our original text? Beloved, if God so loved us, we, all, we, we also ought to what? Love one another. Now the word ought there, that sounds like, like a suggestion. But it's not. The Greek word for ought could be translated as must. So it's not a suggestion. He says, because I loved you, now you must love other people. The root word actually means to owe something. It means you owe a payment. You're under an obligation because God loved you. Now you're under an obligation to love others. It's like paying it forward. God loved me. He died for me. So now because you died for me, God, I want to love other people. Now we start to love one another. Now that, that's totally different than a world. A word, the world will say, look out for number one. You do you. You worry about yourself. You look out for you and yours, and yours alone, and you take care of yours. That's not what Jesus tells us. He tells us to love others. Why? God's not done loving the world yet. And how does he want to keep loving the world? Through who? You and me, brothers and sisters. You and me. So outside of these walls, when we're talking to people, he wants us to love people like he loved us. Here's the last text this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 14. 14 through 16. Here's the last verse. It says, you are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That means when God changes us, we now have him. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now the third part of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's now living inside of you. Listen, that shines. That comes out. God's love now has changed you. It totally changes you. Now listen, these are questions we should ask ourselves this morning. Is my life completely different after believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is my life completely different than it was before? Is my, has, has, has God's love changed me? Has it affected my behavior? Has God's love changed me in the way I treat people? You see, that's what love is intended to do. God's love in us is intended to change us. So now, how we treat people, how we talk to people, how we help people, how we love people is completely different than a lost and dying world. What does God's love do? It doesn't make coffee. 
It doesn't make toast for us. It changes us into a loving, compassionate people who care about the people around us. You know what I see when I read the New Testament and I read about Jesus? I mentioned this this morning in our new members class. You know what I see? I see that Jesus never goes and he hangs out with religious leaders. Like, I'm thankful. He's going to close us in prayer today. But I'm th- Our association director is here with us this morning, Mitch, and his wife, Becky. I'm thankful for them. But I believe with all my heart that if Jesus was in Marshfield, Missouri on a Saturday or Sunday, he would not be at Mitch Fisher's house or Jeff's house. He would be out ministering to people who are lost and broken and needing salvation. People that are broken in spirit. People that our society would throw away. People that we pass by. Don't look at them. Pass by them. Ignore them. The worst of society. That's who Jesus would be hanging out with. That's what I see in scripture. Who did he search out? Jesus searched out those who were broken in spirit. Who were lost. Who were caught in their sin. Who were dying. Who had physical ailments that society would have cast out. And what does he do? He has compassion on them. And he loves, uh, he loves them. And he shares the truth with them. And he heals their broken hearts. Listen, God wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to love the people that are unlovable. That society says give up on them. How does he want to do that? Through you. Through your church. He wants to do that through you. He wants to do that through you. Now listen. Are you willing to let God do that? When you have the king of the universe living inside of you, the creator of everything living inside of you, you look at people differently. You treat people differently. You care about people differently. You have compassion on people differently. Listen, we must love each other. We must show God's compassion to the least of these. I didn't, I didn't include it in my text. But Jesus talks about people that will stand before him one day. And say, Lord, Lord, prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We served in your name. And he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. That's the most important thing, guys, that we can settle this morning is knowing whether or not we're in Christ. Whether we're serving Him. For my brothers and sisters that are in the room, we'll talk about this probably before the new year. We have got to be living out this love of Christ in our community. Nobody else is going to do it. We have to do it. We have to live this out, this love of God. So my question for you today is this. Have you received the greatest, most costly gift in the history of the world? The gift of salvation. From the debt of your sin. By trusting in what Jesus did on the cross. How does that work? How does that work? I'm about ready to close. How's this, how's that, how's this work? How does this work? Well, number one, you've got to understand that your sin has violated a holy God. You say, well, I'm a really good person. Not by the biblical standards of good. The biblical definition of good is morally perfect in thought, word, and deed. How many of you have been morally perfect your whole life? Nobody. That means you're not good. That means you've sinned. You've lied. You've stolen. You've committed adultery in your heart. 
or you've committed adultery, you've murdered people in your heart, that means your sin deserves a punishment. Just like, just like if I was to go steal somebody's car and take it for a joyride. They'd arrest me, and they'd haul me before the judge, and he'd say, you're guilty. You're going to get punished. You deserve a punishment. Because we've sinned, we deserve a punishment. But God, being rich in mercy and love, was born, lived a perfect life in Jesus Christ, and went to the cross, and our sins were put on him. So that when we believe in him, those sins have been paid for. Just like in that courtroom, if somebody paid my fine, the judge would let me go free. God legally and justly led us into heaven to live for all eternity based upon what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's the good news. Now, what do you have to do in order to receive that salvation? Well, you don't have to read your Bible through a hundred times. You don't have to have perfect attendance at church. You don't have to open your checkbook and give some big amount. You don't have to say a bunch of prayers that you really don't understand. You have to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, and that's it. You have to believe in Jesus. And when the Bible says when that happens, when you do that, you pass from death to life, and you're justified before God. And you know what happens? You receive the Holy Spirit, and now your life is different. Now, it's not going to look vastly different on day one, but 20 years in, it's going to. A year in, it's going to. You're going to start becoming more Christ-like. That's what this whole thing is, uh, is about. And then, you know what you're doing? You're giving your best to God because he gave you everything. So many people, I'm closing with this, my favorite verse. So many people only think about now. They live for now. They live for now in their jobs, in their finances, in their vacations. All they're focused on is what I can do right now. You know what Jesus says, Mark 8, Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What's Jesus saying? There's nothing else as important as whether you're a follower of Christ or not. Nothing else. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. We're going to have an invitation song. If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. You don't, meet, you don't need me to say a prayer for you. You need to humble yourself before God. And admit you're a sinner and you need, you need a Savior. If you're here this morning and you've received, brother and sister, the greatest gift ever and you're not using it, you're not using it, I challenge you today to use the greatest gift in how you interact with your families, with the lost and dying world. If you need to come this morning, you can. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning again for the opportunity to be here and to preach the truth of your word uh, today. Lord, I pray that we're never shy about it. We're never, we don't ever back off from the truth. Lord, I pray this morning that we look and we think about the cost of the gift that you gave us. We think about it this morning. And we're so grateful for you that it changes us. Your Holy Spirit changes us. We believe in you and we, and we start to love people. We treat people differently. God, I love you this morning. I'm thankful to be here. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Joyful and trying
All right. I want to thank you guys for coming again today. Kids did a great job again. I'm really proud of them. I want to thank you guys for coming today. Uh, here's our benediction. I got a couple of things. Benediction is one we should all know, uh, but I hope you think about it this week and think about the greatest gift that you could ever get is the Lord. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish will not perish, but have everlasting life. I also want to mention Tracy and his family. You guys know the Holters. Uh, they're faithful and coming. Tracy's always here on Wednesdays and Sundays. He has taken a job back in Minnesota. So this is his last Sunday here. So Tracy, put your hand up. Make sure you come around. Pray for Tracy uh, and his kids. And uh, obviously, when you're back in southwest Missouri, I know you're going to stop by and see me. Uh, but he's, he'll be going back and plugging into a church, and um, he's still our brother in Christ. And so pray for him and his family as they, they move uh, next week. And I'm going to ask Mitch uh, Fisher. told him I was going to have him close in prayer. Thank you for being with us, brother. Close us in prayer. Thank you very much. What a beautiful, beautiful sight to see all you this morning. Let us pray. Father, what a beautiful thing it is to see families young and old children, people of all ages to come and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you that at the right time, at the very specific moment you designed, that you came to us as a child. And that because of that gift, we have this thing called life and life eternal. So Father, I pray for this church and this congregation, for Jeff and Selena and their family, and I ask the Holy Spirit to continue to feel it fully, completely, wholly, so that even when people drive by, they know that there is a God above them and that there is Savior. So, Lord Jesus, as we in a week celebrate your birth, may the Holy Spirit give us the joy that our pastor talked about. In the name of that blessed name we pray, Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.